Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Jane Matinere, before you go on your way, we have all these TV monitors up, up here and their traffic cameras and the weather and their in-house feed. And then there's one one monitor that, that's devoted to like the, the local cable channels and stuff. Well, what I've been noticing is I assume our landlords have not been paying the cable bill because there's no cable channels that are available. You put on any of the cable channels and it says, contact your provider you okay. to get it. With the exception, the exception of the fact that today is, of course, Star Wars Day, May the 4th. Honest to goodness, the only cable channel that is coming in is TBS, which is apparently showing a marathon of Star Wars movies. How awesome is that? It, it is just so. I mean, I'm, I'm looking. I've got these things that I typically put in. None of those are the cable is just blank. But the, the <laughs> one, the one thing you can watch is the Star Wars thing. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's it's just the forces with us, and that's the only TV show that we're going to be able to watch today. It's a miracle. It is. It's, just, it's, a, it's a May Fourth miracle. It Jeff. is a May. 4th fourth miracle right if you want the news channels or anything you're out of luck but we got the star wars movie up there and i will say only the first two ones were good <laughs> oh, okay. fighting words and i'm on my way at the okay, door right so. that's jane matinair absolutely it's um yeah well some were definitely better than others there's no question about it all right we have a lot of ground to cover on today's program some lighter topics and some serious topics we are going to have a couple abortion related discussions but i'm going to save that for the one o'clock hour because we talked about it in the 12 o'clock hour yesterday i do want to call your attention to um uh, if, if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 i i i I posted something because I've seen this, and Jane was actually referring to it in her newscast, because I thought it was interesting. The attorney general of the state of Wisconsin, Josh Call, who is big-time Democrat, very, very apparently upset that the Supreme Court might overrule Roe versus Wade. We'll talk about that in a little bit, like I say, during the 1 o'clock hour again. But he's he was rushing to the microphones yesterday to say, if this is the case— and, of course, Wisconsin has a statute banning abortions. It goes back to the 1850s. I, I really, seriously, in my heart of hearts, I don't think it is going to come to this. But, you know, Call rushes in front of the cameras and the microphones to pronounce that he, he has no intention of enforcing that law if, in fact, that law is reinstated. And I guess I, I, I pointed this out in my Twitter tweet. I, I think it's really interesting that the— Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin, who takes an oath to enforce the laws of the state of Wisconsin, believes he should be able to pick and choose what laws he chooses to enforce, which raises the question of what other laws uh, that Call doesn't personally care for um, is is he electing not to enforce? Again, I don't think it's going to come to this. I, I don't. But it's really interesting to me that you have, again, somebody who takes this oath to uphold the laws of the state of Wisconsin, who, because they don't like a particular law, decides, well, we're not going to enforce this particular law. We're just going to ignore it. And, and prosecutors always have discretion. Well, yeah, there, there's there's an element of, of that. But I don't know that I've ever just had it heard it expressed with, well, I just don't like this particular law. I don't agree with the law, so I'm not going to do it. Just something to keep in mind. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. It, it, 
it turned out to be just like this little interesting sociology experiment. And I'm curious if you have noticed things like this or how you think you would have reacted. So last night, my buddy and I were at the Brewers game. And very good game. You know, Brewers ended up winning 6-3. to three. It was well played, et cetera, stayed to the very end. So my seats are on the first level. I'm on an aisle, and I'm about 19 rows back. So I, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting on the aisle, and I notice that about four rows in front of me, in the middle of the aisle, and, and there's where I am, there's like 23 rows. So I'm pretty much towards the back. And about three or four rows in front of me, there is, oh, it's, it's, I noticed it in like the bottom of the first inning, there is an empty plastic soda bottle, like a, a Coke bottle. And they're, they're selling Coke products this year at the stadium, which is, which is a good thing. I like Coke better than Pepsi. But, it, but it's an empty plastic bottle, like a 16-ounce bottle, that's in the middle, I mean smack dab in the middle of the aisle. And, and I noticed that. And I was going to just actually go four rows in front of me and, and just kind of pick it up. But I, but I started watching this because I swear, I swear, for the next three innings, people going up and down the aisle, ushers going up and down the aisle, vendors going up and down the aisle, people going up and down the aisle, you know, as they're leaving their seats to go get snacks or go to the bathroom or whatever. I'm watching everybody, and nobody picks up this soda bottle. (laughs) I'm, I'm watching people step over it. I'm watching people step around it. I'm watching people step on it, but nobody bends over to pick up the soda bottle. And I, I was, again, I, was, I took a picture of this. I was going to put it on Twitter and then thought better of that. But I'm just, I'm watching this because I, I was really going to go get it, but then I'm kind of just, how many people are going to, to go around? Because it would have been so much easier to bend over and just pick up the darn thing than it would have been to walk around it or walk over it. So after, I, I say, a, a good three innings, I, I would say, finally, one of the beer vendors um, kicks it. <laughs> so, so it's at least out of the middle of the aisle. But this soda bottle stayed in the middle of the aisle for, uh, I, I don't know, however long, you know, two and a half or three innings takes. I mean, a good 45 minutes. And it just, there, there must have been a hundred people, at least, probably lots more than that, who, I mean, stepped over it, stepped it around it, or stepped on it instead of a single person bending down to pick it up. Now, I understand in these days of us being germ conscious and things like that, I mean, I understand if it was like a, I don't know, a tissue or something like that, I get why people might have been reluctant to, you know, bend down and pick it up. But this this was a plastic soda bottle, and not a single person picked it up. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So what what what's... What is going on here? And I, I, I honestly have been thinking about this since I saw it happen. Is it because, well, it's somebody else's job to, to do that? Okay, it's, it's not my job to pick it up and get this out of everybody's way. Is it because we are inherently lazy a, as people? Is it because we're germ conscious? So I'm not going to pick up something that's on the ground. But again, even then, you could have kind of kicked it out of the way. People just kind of stepped over this. Or is it this, we're, we're just, we're ignoring it. We, who, what do you mean that there, there was a soda bottle in the middle of the thing? But, but of course, you had to see it. People just stepped over this for the better part of, like I say, 45 minutes, an hour, 
however long that this was, nobody thinks to pick this thing up. Presumably, I think it's because we're too lazy or it's just not my job or whatever. So I'll jump over this. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there's also a larger point here. But my question is, what's going on? Why did nobody... Why did nobody get this soda bottle out of the middle of the aisle for two and a half or three innings at the game last night? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Okay, so I I thought I made this point earlier. A couple people are saying, "Well, well, why didn't you pick it up? Well... I, I was going to. Actually, that's what I noticed. It's a couple rows ahead of me. Now, I didn't have to step over it, but I was just watching this. But I, I, after I started watching, I was going to go pick it up, even though it wasn't in my way, the soda bottle that was in the middle of the aisle. But I just started watching people, whether it's ushers or vendors or people just stepping over and around it. It just became interesting to me that I wanted to see how long it would be. And I, I was actually, I, I was watching the soda bottle, how long it would be before somebody decided to do something about it. Otherwise, I, I would have picked it up, but for the fact that I was kind of curious that all these other people are stepping over the thing or around it or on it, and nobody wants to bend over and pick it up. Now, somebody sends an interesting text saying, Jeff, if it was a $20 bill, you know that uh, people would not be worried about the germs or anything like that. Well, yeah, if it's a $20 bill, somebody would have definitely been grabbing it, but because it was an empty Coke bottle, we stepped around it for a lengthy period of time. Let's start with Maggie. Maggie, uh, Margie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I think people are just inherently lazy. I had a similar experience. I was at Walgreens, and they had an end cap with some stuffed animals in there for Easter. And one of the little stuffed animals had fallen on the floor. I watched three big grown men, like, really step over it to avoid it so they could get in line, rather than just pick the thing up and put it in the end cap. It just I think people are just lazy. Yeah, well, I, right, or, or or it's somebody else's problem, or or whatever. And um, no, I, I'm with you. I guess I see things like this. Um, I, I guess I kind of see things like this all the time. And I was just watching these people. As there, it, it it was at least the way this was set up. It would have been so much easier just for somebody to bend down and grab the thing and get it out of the way than right. it would be for all these people to step over the stuff, which wasn't easy. You know, right. you know, but but yet we we people did this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's it's lazy. Maybe Maybe it's just it's not my problem. Maybe it's I'm going to put blinders on. You know, somebody else is going to get this. But, you know, where where is Hillary Clinton? And it takes a village when you need it, you know? (laughs) 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 Thank you. Thanks for the call, Margie. I appreciate it. Look, and I also understand this is the biggest deal in the world. But it was just this interesting observation. And I'm thinking nobody is picking this this thing up. And I, I mean, I like to think. There's all sorts of, of occasions where if there's a piece of, of trash, and I'm not talking about I – mean, I mean, I understand if it's some you know, Kleenex or something that looks like somebody blew their nose on. I understand why you might not want to reach out and grab that. But this, this is a plastic soda bottle, and I do – I mean, I do like to think that my general reaction is going to be if, if I see a piece of garbage that's right in front of me, even if it's not mine, I, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it in a trash receptacle. I, I think that's just part of kind of being a, a decent person. I don't know. Susan and Racine. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I think that this conversation is really good and one that has needed to be had. Because I agree with you. Um, I have 
also picked up soda bottles or other things just because once I do it, it makes me feel a whole lot better that I made it look a little bit better. But I, I think it's a combination of people thinking that the garbage is dirty and it's not their job. Yeah. Now, um, now of I've course, even, if, if it was I've if it was a five do- to- if it was a five dollar bill, Susan, would people have grabbed it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. It <laughs> wouldn't have been be- too dirty for that. To them. Right. Yeah. Right. No, and right. I, I think there is yeah. an element. It's not your job. Okay, this is what this is what we have the people that you know the clean the aisles for and things like that. But still, right. yeah. it, it's it's almost like all right, that person obviously isn't here. Let me get the darn thing out of my way so I'm not tripping over it as I'm trying to go up or down the aisles. Yeah. Yes, and this is this issue is becoming worse because you know how much trash there is along the roadways and everywhere. It's getting worse, and one of the things I started doing just because I couldn't, I don't feel like I can take it anymore. Is I've been carrying a garbage bag in my car yeah. so that when something looks really bad or something needs to be picked up, I just pick it up and put it in that garbage bag, and it looks better. I just feel like I'm providing a service by doing that. Well, it, it, no, it, it's your own little, in your own little way, you're trying to make a contribution yeah. to, you know, again, I don't know if it's Beautify America or whatever. I mean, actually, Susan, my my wife right. does that. She's a better person than I am. But but she, she routinely, if we're in a place and there's some garbage that's around and it, 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 it's not our garbage, she will routinely just pick it up, you know, because she thinks it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and you know what? You're right and she's Absolutely. right. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, let's talk to... Joanne, Joanne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thank you for taking the call. Sure. Well, this morning I was um, just happened to be looking out the window, and it was garbage pickup day, um, trash day, and I don't know if it came off the truck or when they were lifting the dumpster into the truck, but anyway, this lady walks in the middle of the parking lot, and there were four cans. And all of a sudden I heard this noise and I looked and here she is, instead of picking them up and putting them in to the trash or to the recyclable, she just kicks the cans to the side. I thought, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't understand it. Yeah. It, well, no, I, I mean, it, it's obviously something that's it's obviously something that's that's going on there. And it, it's not a unique sort of thing. But I'm just, I, I just, I watch this and I think, okay, there's, there's obviously something going on with human nature here that we don't feel that we have to pick up after ourselves and we don't feel like we have to pick up after other people, even if that, it, it inconveniences us to get around there. Anyways, and ultimately, like I say, what happened is beer vendor comes down, kicks the, <laughs> he kicks the, uh, the, the bottle under the, the seat and presumably it becomes somebody else's problem. Back with more in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Did you see the story on, on Dave Chappelle? Um, and this this is kind of, it's, it's not just kind of scary, it's extremely scary. So he, he's, of course, the comedian. He's 
very controversial because of some of the jokes or statements he's made on uh, trans people and things like that. And he's one of these guys who um, Netflix ran a series of his comedy specials, and there was this huge outrage from the LGBTQ community and things like that. So anyhow, he he's performing at a Netflix-sponsored show at the Hollywood Bowl in, in California yesterday, I believe. And all of a sudden, some guy gets on the stage and just sort of like, you know, what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock at the Oscars, this guy gets on the stage and runs at him and, and kind of tackles him. Apparently, the guy had a knife and he had a gun. There's there's not a lot of cell phone video be, of this because they, they make people surrender their cell phones before they go into the show. But the, but it was scary. There, there's a, at least a little bit. Then you have the security people that run out and they ultimately take the attacker and they, you know, get him backstage and there, there's some film of him being taken off, you know, after he was arrested. But the scary thing is this guy got on the stage. I, I was thinking about this because over the last couple weeks, maybe you've seen a couple of these stories, there's been there's been a couple of these animal rights activists who have run onto the court at NBA basketball games during the playoffs and have tried to glue themselves to the court or to the basket. And they're, they're staging, you know, whatever the, their particular protest is. And, you know, then they, they've, they've delayed the game. They've gotten on TV and, and they've had to be forcibly removed. But, you know, the operative story about this is how are we letting people do this? I mean, the scary thing is, look, I understand that these, these people who were doing the protests and trying to glue themselves in the floor are just kind of extremists for whatever point they want to make. But they could also – these could be people that are armed. These could be people that could be intending to cause all sorts of damage. And to me, the I understand we are a free society and we come and go. But, you know, I, I keep asking these questions about where is security and things like this when on multiple occasions you can have people run 18 rows down onto a court in a basketball game without anybody from security stopping them and then get on the court and try to glue themselves to the floor. I mean, where is security when you've got some guy who's up performing on stage and you can let some guy with a gun and a knife get on stage and run out and tackle him. It's You're seeing more and more of these things happen. And mark my words, if they don't get a handle on this, it, it's not just going to be a story that you're talked about, oh, wasn't that interesting? The protester got to run onto the basketball court and glue themselves to the floor. So one of these kooks is going to end up doing something that causes serious harm to a participant or to somebody you know nearby or whatever, and they need to get their act together at these different venues to stop this stuff before it gets out of control. It's 2.31, Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Mike Spall. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve Scafidi are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties? If so, head to WTMJ.com and make your nomination now. And please hurry. The nomination period ends on May 13th. It's Waterstone Bank's salute to service on News Radio WTMJ. All right. There are those of us, and I am in this category, who are avid pet lovers. Um, matter of fact, my dog, Sasha, she turned seven on uh, she turned seven on Friday. We're planning some big birthday celebration with all the surprise presents and things like that. But um, I, I, I love my dog dearly, just just dearly. And I appreciate 
again, with people, you know, how you can relate to your particular pets and where we get pets. Now, after the pandemic, what you saw is you saw just, you know, more and more people that were stuck at home. They decided they they wanted to go out and they wanted to go find a dog or find a cat or, or whatever. And one of the places that people go are the various humane societies and animal shelters and things like that. And that's that is all well and good. There are other people who choose to get their pets <clears throat> from from breeders, for example, and that's that's where we we got Sasha a number of years ago. Um, my my late wife investigated. We knew what type of dog we wanted. We wanted a particular type of dog, and she conducted an extensive search and found a breeder in the Upper Peninsula who you know was very very reputable. So we ended up purchasing our dog from from this breeder. All right. Now some people would say, well, Jeff, you should have gone to the Humane Society or whatever. Well. It was a choice. We considered that, but we, for a variety of reasons, we wanted to go the the breeder route. So you've got the breeder route, you've got the animal shelters and humane societies, all of which are are great. And then there are the commercial pet stores that, that are around. I remember the, the old song, like, how much is that doggy in the window? I, I do hope that the one with the waggly tail, I do hope that doggy's for sale. So there are, are pet stores that, that are out there, and their business, at least part of their business, is in selling pets. Now, there are some breeders, and you hear the stories about the puppy mills and stuff, that are just appalling and need to be put out of business. But that doesn't mean that every store, every pet store, is getting their pets from puppy mills or disreputable breeders or or whatever. And for a number of people who want pets, it's more convenient for them, or whatever their individual reasons are, they they go to the pet store to to find their particular pets. Well, I want to tell you about something that's going on in the People's Republic of Wauwatosa. Wauwatosa is on track to become the first community in this area, and one of only about 400 municipalities across the entire country, which will prohibit pet stores from selling cats or dogs. So, I mean, the way that this is, is the ordinance says, well, I mean, here, here's what we want to do. Um, we, we want to crack down on the negative effects of puppy mills. So we're going to pass an ordinance that says <clears throat> no pet store in the city would be allowed to sell, deliver, offer for sale, barter, auction, give away, or otherwise transfer or dispose of any cats or or dogs. The ordinance would let people, pet stores, showcase animals from pet shelters or rescues, but, but they couldn't sell dogs or cats themselves. And the idea behind this is, well, you know, we don't like puppy mills, so we're going to assume, I guess, that every pet that's being sold in a pet store is, in fact, a a puppy mill. And the thinking that they have in Wauwatosa is if people can't buy pets at a reputable pet store, well, then what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to go to an animal shelter or a humane society or, or whatever. Um, Wauwatosa doesn't prevent people from going to breeders, but it does stop breeders from selling their their dogs to the pet stores because the pet stores aren't going to be able to resell them. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike, I guess I have a couple questions about this. First of all, nobody is endorsing puppy mills. Believe me. I, I, <laughs> but believe me, that's not it. But at the same time, if you have a reputable pet store, why shouldn't they be able to offer cats and dogs for sale? 
And if it turns out that they are mistreating their animals, well, well, fine. Then, then you close them down, you fine them, you, you do whatever. If it turns out that there are puppy mills that are you know, mistreating animals, fine, you, you close them down. But to say to individual consumers, no, you don't have the choice of being able to purchase a pet in this particular fashion, to me, for, first of all, it's, it's an incorrect or an improper crackdown on what could be and most likely is in most cases a responsible business. Secondly, it's the ultimate in virtue signaling. I mean, seriously. So if I want to buy my niece a, a puppy and I, I want to go to a pet store, so Wauwatosa is going to say you can't buy them, does, does that mean, well, okay, then what do I do? I, I just go over to Waukesha or I go to West Allis or I go to Germantown or I go to Sussex, 855-616-1620. And, and where, where do we stop with this? And I, I ask this seriously. I mean, are we going to, in Wauwatosa, prohibit the sale of eggs at grocery stores because, I don't know, some of the farms that sell the gro- the eggs to the grocery stores might you know, have the chickens in, in cages or things like that? 855-616-1620. To me, this is the ultimate in virtue signaling. And again, I'm not encouraging puppy mills or anything like that. But if I'm, if I'm a responsible pet store owner, I'm now being told that I, I can't sell dogs or cats? Really? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Wauwatosa is considering an ordinance which would prohibit pet stores from selling cats or, or dogs. Now, the idea behind this is that, well, we're against puppy mills. Now, I, I, everybody should be against puppy mills, right? That, that's, that's, that's not, I think, an issue. So the argument is, so what we're going to do is we're going to assume that any pet store that sells cats or dogs has to be getting its dogs from a puppy mill. So these animals have to be mistreated. So therefore, in order to go after the puppy mills, we've got to go after the legitimate pet store, and we say that they can't sell pets. Okay, this is this is the disconnect I have. Now, I understand I'm getting some texts from a couple people who've worked in the pet rescue field for 30 years or whatever, and, I, and they, they say, oh, this is, you know, we, we've got to do this to shut down the puppy mills. No, shut down the puppy mills. If, if you've got evidence, for example, that a pet store is selling animals, dogs or cats, that are, are coming from these puppy mills and they're mistreated, I, I, I say go after that pet store. And then try to trace it back and identify the puppy mill and try to close them down. I mean, everybody would agree with that. But this assumption that, well, anytime you would walk into a pet store, regardless of how reputable that store might be, and see that they're they're selling uh, again that they're selling pets that you 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 know that we're not going to let you do it because it has to come from a puppy mill. I'm sorry, that just that doesn't make any sense. It is this idea that, well, because one thing is bad, the way we have to shut this down is we have to, I mean, stop legitimate businesses from operating in this particular fashion. And you wonder, I mean, if Wauwatosa is going to do this, what, what, what is next? Are they going to prohibit breeders who live in Wauwatosa, for example, from selling their puppies over, I know, Craigslist or through eBay? Or 
or what if I mean I'm I'm just on the internet and what if I'm I'm looking for I decide I want a um I don't know I want a snickerdoodle and I'm trying to find a, a place that breeds snickerdoodles and I find some breeder and I research them and it happens to be that they live in Wauwatosa and I want to go out and I want to buy the snickerdoodle from the breeder is is Wauwatosa going to tell me that I can't do that I mean I guess you know that's the operative point here. Jeff, brick-and-mortar stores are having a hard enough time surviving. Aside from the fact that I believe Wauwatosa has much bigger battles to fight with crime, etc., um, it blows my mind to think that this is where they're having their government focus their attention. Um, dude, we are a sanctuary city as well. Well, that's right. And, and I don't want anybody to interpret this as saying that I, I support mistreating animals. Nothing could be farther from from the truth. And I support the idea of people, you know, if you're looking for a pet, go. you know, I think one of the great places to go is to the animal shelters and the rescue shelters and the humane societies and things like that. Th- those are great resources for you to go to. I don't think there's anything wrong if you have, for whatever your individual reasons are, you want to get a particular type of, of pet that comes from a responsible breeder. I have no problem with that as, as well. But this idea that we're going to assume that if it is a pet store that sells well, that, that sells like dogs or cats, it's automatically got to be bad. Well, that's fine. And I've got some people who are saying, Jeff, no reputable breeder sells their dogs to pet stores. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty bold assumption to make. So I understand there, there are folks in the animal rescue world that believe that you know, any, any dog or any cat that you see at a, um, at a pet store has to come from uh, a puppy mill. I think that that's an overreaction. And again, if that's the evidence, if it turns out that you've got Jeff's Pet Store that is patronizing, you know, um, puppy mills and are selling dogs or cats that end up being, you know, mistreated or whatever, you have every right, I think, to file complaints with the local authorities. You have every right to try to shut down Jeff's Jeff's Pet Store if they are doing that. But to just automatically assume, as Wauwatosa does, in this moment of virtue signaling that, well, if it's a pet store that's selling pets, automatically it's got to be selling badly mistreated animals. And are there examples where you have bad pet stores that are out there? I'm sure there are. That's not the argument. But it's this idea that, well, it has to be, it has to be an automatic thing where this is, you know, going on. So this is what Wauwatosa is doing. This is that idea of trying to, again, control these individual businesses. To me, it's nothing but virtue signaling because, like I say, if you if you want to patronize a pet store and that's where you want to go to buy a dog or buy a cat or whatever, well, you're— the, the simple recipe is, okay, go out to Wauwatosa, not to Wauwatosa, go to Waukesha or go up to Germantown or go wherever, and you're going to be able to, you know, purchase this. Um, and again, if you've got evidence that pet stores are mistreating animals, fine, then you, you pay attention to that. But I think it gets to be very, very dangerous where you decide, okay, we're going to tell people where they can get their pets from because there are unscrupulous breeders that are out there. And yet that is precisely what, you know, Wauwatosa is trying to do. Um, Jeff, you know, some pet stores actually work with humane societies and shelters and sell animals for them. We got a cat from one once. Um, Well, yeah. Now, this ordinance 
would still allow a pet store to display animals that um, are, are through like the Humane Society or something like that. And nothing in this conversation, like I say, is intended to discourage people from going to Animal Rescue or the Humane Society or whatever. I think that's a, a great option that's there. It's just assuming that every business has to be bad is where I think they make the mistake. More Jeff Wagner right after this. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. As long as we're talking about animals, I have a very unfortunate I told you so, but, but, but I told you something like this would happen. For the last several years, I have been kind of sounding the alarm about the presence of coyotes or coyotes, depending on how you want to pronounce it, as they as they move into urban areas. And a lot of times this will come up in the context of, you know, somebody who has their, their dog in their backyard and, you know, a coyote or coyotes attack the dog, kill the dog. I have, I've, I've told the story before, I have a couple friends who live um, in Whitefish Bay, as a matter of fact, on, on the lake. And they, they've had, they, they had cats, you know, pet cats, and they'd leave the cats outside. And they, they've had coyotes that have come up um, off the bluff, and they've attacked and they've killed the, the cats. And whenever we, we have this conversation, I, I get comments from some people saying, oh, it, it, it's live and let live, and this is just, you, it's, it's really no big deal, and, you know, you, you have to watch your, your pets, and, you know, so the idea is, well, you've got these, these wild animals that are running around, and it's, it's your fault if you leave your dog in your backyard and your little dog gets attacked by one of these coyotes. It, it's like you've done something wrong because we can't possibly do anything to stop the coyotes, and, of course, that, that's kind of the attitude that the DNR has. It's like, oh, don't worry about this. It's not really that big a deal. And normally coyotes run away if they see people. And I've been saying for the longest time that, you know, you got to be careful about this because if if today it's a cat or a small dog, pretty soon it's going to be a small child. And then, oh, no, no, they would never do this. I have in my hand a story. Now, this is thankfully not from southeastern Wisconsin, but here's the, the story. It's It's from Dallas. Two-year-old child is in critical condition at the hospital after being attacked by a coyote in Dallas. Game wardens are now actively searching for the animal. He is considered to be extremely dangerous. Police said it happened around 8.30 a.m. Tuesday morning in the Lake Highlands area while the child was sitting on the front porch of a home. So the, the kid, this is a two-year-old kid, he's, he's out on the porch of his home, and apparently you have this aggressive coyote, and they, they've been having all sorts of other reports of aggressive coyotes in the area, and this, this kid was uh, attacked, and apparently the parents live kind of by a wooded area and a, a creek. The child was attacked multiple surgeries as a result of, of this attack, <clears throat> and now you know, the authorities are looking to find the coyote. Now, for everybody out there who says, well, live and let live, you know, and, and it's just something we have to put up with, okay, that, that's all well and good. And for everybody who says, oh, they'll never, they'll never turn around, they'll never attack a human, I, I, I've been saying for the longest time that that's just not going to be the case. And, and pretty soon you're going to start seeing this. So what do you say to parents? Okay, well, if you've got a toddler, you can't leave the toddler out in your backyard or you can't leave the, the child out on your front porch or something like that because you know there might be these out-of-control coyotes that are going to come up and, and attack. At some point in time, you, you've got to get this under control. And I'm sorry, I just do not believe that these 
animals belong in in urban areas. And I understand there's all sorts of reasons why they're here, but this story out of Dallas is something that could be replicated in all sorts of places, including in Wisconsin, if we don't wake up and pay attention. Okay, when we come back in the one o'clock hour of the program, let's talk about that abortion story from yesterday. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, day two of the explosive Politico story where somebody, presumably a law clerk for one of the three liberal Supreme Court justices, in an effort to derail this decision, which would have reversed Roe versus Wade, took the almost unprecedented step of leaking that to the press, in this case Politico. And of course, it has now set off this firestorm with everybody from the president on down wading in on this issue and all sorts of people deciding to figure out how, how can we play this for our own political purposes. We, we talked about this in the 12 o'clock hour of the program yesterday, and I, 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 I've, I've tried to explain how I feel about Roe. Roe versus Wade, to me, it, it's, it has always been a very problematic. By that, I mean I think it's been a bad decision from a legal perspective, because there's two, there are two issues that are here. First issue is, does the Constitution give somebody a right to abortion? And do they give somebody an unlimited right to, to abortion? Is that something that's found in the Constitution or by reading the Constitution that you could create it? To me, Roe has always been a mess as it tries to wrestle with that and find a constitutional right where I don't think any necessarily exists. That's being said, though, then there's the other question of should abortion be legal or not? You know, because regardless of whether or not it's a right that's found in the Constitution, there's nothing that says that a state or the federal government can't prescribe, you know, the circumstances and the limitations on which somebody can get an abortion. So to, to me, I've always seen them as two very, very distinct issues. And where we end up Ultimately, if this decision comes out and it strikes down Roe, that does not mean automatically that, you know, people are going to be denied the right to have have abortions. It simply means that we as a society are going to have to decide, you know, do we think this is appropriate and what, if any, limits should there be? Now, I understand that there are some people who view this as an absolute either way. There are some people who believe that life starts at conception and people should not have the right to terminate uh, another life. There are other people who think that um, people, women in particular, women should have an absolute control over their body. And nobody, no government, nobody should tell them what they can do with their body um, when it comes to an unborn child. So there, there are people on, on the extremes on both ends. And we've had Wisconsin politicians who have essentially argued that, well, with, with the whole idea of partial birth abortion, that the fact that, well, you know, if a, if a baby has to be aborted, you know, even in the course of delivery, well, okay, that, that, that's all right. Well, I, I think most people aren't there either. I think most people find that there is a middle ground on on this issue. And I firmly believe that we're going to get to this middle ground. Now, there's all these polls that are out there. And sometimes, even if you believe in polling, it's got to be 
what you have to understand is you have to you have to take this okay and and look behind the numbers if you hear a lot of the stories in the mainstream media they will correctly i mean quote polls that say that nationwide you know you've got about 54% of people who mostly or fully support legalized abortion and about 41% of people who mostly or fully oppose it all right 54 41 and those numbers are pretty consistent there there is a a but to this however those are national numbers there's a real interesting story in the New York Times that says, well, if you go state by state, you, you get a much different reaction to that. For example, there, there are 13 states which have thus far enacted what they call trigger laws, and a trigger law is a law that says if Roe versus Wade is ever overruled, then what happens is abortion for all intents and purposes is going to be made illegal in this particular state. In those states that have trigger laws— now, keep in mind, nationwide, if you ask the question, nationwide, do you think abortion should be legal, 54% say yes, 41% say no. In these 13 states that have the trigger laws, um, 52% say that abortion should be illegal in all circumstances, or most or all, and 43% say it should be allowed in most or almost all cases. So you, you do have a split. And by that, I mean there's not necessarily a consensus. Yes, nationwide, these are what the numbers are. But if you go a state-by-state basis, you see that there are very, very different approaches to this. One of the other things that is extremely interesting is it's tough to ask this question because you say, okay, do do you support a woman's right to choose an abortion? All right, but you just kind of leave it open-ended. There's a lot of people who would say yes, but you you got to figure out at the same time, what, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that that right should be completely and totally unlimited? So you have people that, okay, it's the eighth month, and you change your mind, and you decide you don't want to have the, the child, that you should be able to do that abortion. It, it you, you have to kind of ask, what exactly does that mean? mean. So, you know, there's another new poll out that was done a couple weeks ago, and it asks the question about, all right, what what about 15 weeks? Because that's, for example, what the law in Florida is. The law in Florida says, all right, uh, abortions, any reason, within the first 15 weeks, which are three and a half months, which is where ninety about 94% of the abortions are performed. About 94% are performed in the first 15 weeks. So the Florida law says, all right, um, abortions, no questions asked, permitted within the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. And thereafter, they are permitted in cases where the health of the mother is at issue. Now, the, the other unspoken thing here is that with medical science being where it is, it's almost, I don't want to say never, but it is extremely rare after 15 weeks where you have to do an abortion to protect the life of the mother. But it it is still possible. And in Florida, for example, that's that's where they have the, 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 the limitations. You have 15 weeks, any reason, no reason, doesn't matter. After that, you can continue to do it, but it has to be based on the health of the mother. And when they ask that question to people nationwide, um, what, what do you think about that 15 weeks thing? And what they find is um, a, a, the vast, well, at least a, a significant majority of people um, believe 
54%, that, that that's reasonable, that that is a reasonable limitation on abortion. 41% are, are opposed. So when you say, it's somewhat misleading, I guess, to say, okay, do you support abortion or not? Because what I think you have to ask is, you know, do you support the right to choose to have an abortion, but do you also support reasonable limitations on that? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If Roe is overturned, I firmly believe that in the vast majority of states, abortions are not going to, at the end of the day, be illegal. Now, I understand Wisconsin's got this 1850 law that's out there. I I don't think that that law is ever going to be enforced. I think that if Roe is overturned, you're going to have the legislature, which is going to have to decide what is the law in Wisconsin. I think the sweet spot in the entire abortion debate is something along the lines of this law in Florida, which says, all right, we are going to balance the rights of the woman to choose to have an abortion. We're going to balance that with the rights of the unborn child and the rights of society in general. And to me, I, I think I think if you're trying to find a consensus, and I understand that on some issues, because of religious beliefs or whatever, it's very, very difficult to find that consensus. But I think the vast majority of people would agree with a law along the lines of, of 15 weeks. You know, maybe maybe you extend it to 18 weeks, maybe you cut it back to 14 or, or whatever. But to me, that's that's where society is. And I understand we're, we're having all the, this angst and all this hand-wringing over, you know, the constitutional right, uh, should you have a constitutional right to do it. But to me, the, the more fundamental question is, what is right, what is wrong, and should there be some limitations on it? And the legislatures can clear this up. Our number is 855-616-1620. What do you think about a, a reasonable restriction can you should you have any restrictions at all on the right to have an abortion should you not allow anybody to have any abortions at any given time or if you're trying to find a consensus where at least i believe the majority maybe even a significant majority of people are i think it's on a, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 weeks 8556161620 we discuss Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. As you can probably tell, I, and I, I've said this before in all the years I've done a talk show, I, I'm uncomfortable with the whole concept of abortion to the discussion because, first, I'm a guy, so it, it doesn't impact me directly. Secondly, I appreciate that the way many people come at at the question of abortion is based on their personal life experiences, their religious views, etc., etc. So it's very, very difficult to find a common ground. And yet, I, I think that's that's where we are in 2022, regardless of whether Roe is ultimately overturned or, or not, because you have a number of states which are already putting legislative limits on the quote-unquote right to abortion. And, and I think that's that's where we're going in the future, and that's what the conversation needs to be. I think most Americans, and the polls bear me out on this, 
support as a general concept a woman's right to choose to have an abortion. But I think also the vast majority of Americans don't believe that 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 is an unlimited thing. And so to me, that, that sweet spot is around 15 weeks with then a subsequent exception for, for the health of, of the mother. Let's start with, let's see, Andrea. Andrea, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. It's finally sunny. Yay. <laughs> um, I'm one of those people that you mentioned. I, you know, I, I was raised, I'm a cradle Catholic. I'm, I'm still a Christian. I, my children go to Catholic school here in Burlington. I am a relatively liberal Democrat. I also have two living children and eight babies waiting for me in heaven. Um, my concern besides this whole legality is obviously first the leap. The, the, yeah. the, court is sacred that <laughs> the supreme court is sacrosanct so that that's a whole different issue but i have had two miscarriages with an iud if i removed my iud in some of these states i could be charged for murder i lost a baby at 20 i found out at 19 and a half weeks that i was miscarrying and there was nothing that my doctor would do to save the child because the statute is, or at least in Wisconsin, they consider viability 25, 24, 25. I had the most traumatic miscarriage. I could have been offered a DNE, which is the clinical term for an abortion, a dilation, and evacuation. But instead, I had to go through labor. I had to go through burying that child. I had to go through the trauma of hemorrhaging mm-hmm. after having that child. I almost died. I could have gone through a medically controlled abortion. And yes, people will argue, oh, you should have faith. But your baby might be saved. It's in God's hands. You know what? I almost died. My children almost lost their mother. My husband almost lost his friend and partner. And I cannot bear the thought of my daughter or my son's wife, should he choose to marry a woman, dealing with that. I have too many friends I care about. Even if I've never met you, you're my friend. I care about you. Uh, uh, a hanger is not healthcare access. And I think that I feel like 15 weeks is a little too young, but or a little too soon, but I do feel that 16 or so weeks, yeah. you know, why can't we just make sure people are safe? And to be fair, everyone was with the vaccines, my rights, my rights, my body, my choice. Hey, guys, if you didn't get the vaccine, you don't get to tell me what to do with my body. Yeah. So you would support so, uh, you, you, whatever that whatever the, the time limit would be, 14 weeks, 15 weeks, 16 weeks, 18 weeks. You think and as long, again, as long as you have exceptions for you know health of the mother and things like that built in, you you think that some some limit is a, is reasonable, whatever that that time would be, as opposed to just kind of completely open ended. I, I would agree, yes. Um, one of my sorority sisters from college had a very late-term abortion. It turned out that the baby, there were lots of things wrong with the baby. And the baby, another, it would have died shortly after birth. It would have suffered. Exceptions are not necessarily the rule. They are the exception. And I think we need to be compassionate and empathetic and understand that that child is very wanted generally speaking but there may be something going on and it no. we just need to respect each other and love each other thanks for the call andrea i appreciate the perspective 855-616-1620 jeff 
I think 16 weeks, four months, is a fair compromise. If it's six weeks, many, may, many women might not even realize they're pregnant. Yeah, I agree with that. Some women may be undecided. When they find out, if it's too early of a deadline, um, they may race to get an abortion and not take the time to weigh all their options. So I don't think you have to rush a decision. Now, as I was saying earlier, the thing with 15 weeks is that if you look at the studies, like I say, 94% or so um, of women have abortions. If you're going to have an abortion, it's within that that 15-week period. Now, I, I... you know, also, it's a little bit tougher to track this nowadays because, again, you've got the pills that people can take to, to do this, so the procedures can be different than they were, say, 20 or 30 years ago. But that that's where those numbers come from, and, and that's where the 15 weeks plays in. And, again, I, I think this is what the conversation has to be because one way or another, and, and this is the reality, whether Roe is struck down or not, that the Supreme Court is definitely going to say states have a right to put certain limits on this. The right to an abortion is not absolute. And I think the vast majority of people, when you consider that question, would agree that the, the va- that it's not, you know, absolute, period. So the question is, do you find some sort of, is there a middle ground you can have? And after 50 years, I understand trying to find, believe me, trying to find a middle ground on an issue as contentious as abortion is very difficult. We're going to continue this for one more segment. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let me read you a couple texts that I think underscore part of, of, of why this is so complex. Jeff, if we don't protect life before 15 weeks, do we stop protecting the infirm or the elderly. Jeff, I think ending life is ending life after conception, which of course raises this issue of 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 what when does life when does life begin? And I mean I, I heard during our 12 during our 130 news, I heard President Biden who's out expressing his opinions on this, which have changed, by the way, pretty pretty much over, over the years. And he's saying, okay, well, if they strike row down, what, what does this do for other things? Well, you got to be real careful here. Roe is based, based on this interpretation of a right to, to privacy, all right, that, that the government has no business in, in telling you what you can do with your body. And that, that's the same rationale that relates to uh, things like same-sex marriage and birth control and things like that. The, the difference is that in other issues, you're not talking about other people. And in when it comes to uh, again, birth, you, you, you are. Because at some point in time, that, that unborn baby, it, it becomes a person. And so that, that's always been the, 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 the bugaboo about Roe. It's how, how, do you, how do you balance the rights of the mother with the rights of the unborn child? What, what is the baby? When does it become a baby? When does it become, you know, human life? Th- those are the issues that are out there, and that's what distinguishes it from some of the other things like birth control or, or stuff like that, because it's not just, 
you know, it's not just your, you don't, you're not just doing something that affects you, you're affecting the, this child that you're carrying. And that's always, like I say, it's been the issue. What What is it? You know, is, is it a child? Some people, like I say, believe it's a child at conception. Some people believe it's not a child till it's actually born, the baby's actually born. Those those are the difficult things. It's why it's so tough to talk about this, because your view of that often is shaped by your personal experiences and your religious positions and things like that. Okay, let's talk to Sue and Huberta. Sue, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous because of what you just said. It's a very emotionally charged issue. Um, I didn't say this to your screener, but I happen to be a mother of two boys who are adopted. Um I am a Christian, and I work in labor and delivery, so I think you would assume that I would be completely supportive of them overturning it, but I'm not at all. Because I'm a labor and delivery nurse, I've seen all sides of this, and I, unfortunately, I don't think that it's fair to have people that are not experts in this field to be making this decision for all women and all families. And let me give you one example. It's such a gray area. Currently, well, and the, the way prenatal care is, is, is carried out, um, the anatomy scan on a baby is done at 20 weeks. And that's a huge um, scan for ultrasounds for many families, but it can also be devastating and change their life forever because they can find out something abnormal about their child. Um, some of the abnormalities are so severe that they're considered lethal and the baby will not survive when it's born. Mm-hmm. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, the ability to allow these families to have decision-making about when this baby is born and whether a termination of the pregnancy is done um, is completely taken away, and that's so, so unfair um, to, to the family. It's such, such an emotional, I can't even tell you, nobody, nobody wakes up one morning and, and is given this diagnosis and, and just easily makes a decision. It's gut-wrenching. Um, if they overturn this, this is just one example of many of how they're taking away the decision-making of parents and the ability of um, healthcare providers in women's health take good care of their patients, support their patients, and give them options that people can live with. You, it was kind of interesting as you were talking because you you acknowledge at 20 weeks that you consider it to be a baby, that, that it, it's a child. Would that be correct? Well, you know, per, okay, so this is the other interesting piece, right? I separate personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. I separate what my thoughts and opinions are versus what others are going to be. I don't think that because I think it's a baby at 15, 18, 20 weeks that I expect anyone else to think the same thing. So um, I'm going to think a baby's a baby when it has a heartbeat. Do I think that it can survive outside the mom and it's a, and you should hear all decisions based on that? No. No, I think that a mom has the right to decide or a family has a right to decide. And you would say that you think that that right should be unlimited um, regardless of circumstance? I would really prefer a expert provider um, who's knowledgeable and and supportive of of a woman in childbearing age and and the woman or the family to make that decision together. I don't think that the law um, should take that decision-making away. What about a situation where it's not a medical issue? It's just a discretionary issue that you, you hit the, 
I, I don't know, you hit the, whatever the, the time limit, you hit 20 weeks. We'll, we'll take that because you said 20 weeks. 20 weeks and it's, you You have the, the mom who's been wrestling with the decision and they just decided they, they don't want a baby and there's not a health concern. Do you have issues with that? Um, personally, yes. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? That's why I said I have a hard time even talking about this to an outsider because, um, no, 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 I understand. Right. No, no, you're, you're talking to lots of people now. Yeah. We, nothing, we, yeah. Nothing is black. Nothing is black and white about this. So please don't make it black and white. I say that to everyone. And I also have to reach out to anyone listening who has had to go through any kind of turmoil um, with a loss of a child. Um, my heart was out to you. And I apologize for even having this conversation because it's such an emotional conversation. So there are so many gray variables. That's what makes this whole modality so challenging and difficult for me. Um, so you're asking me to make a decision for myself or someone else. I can't make a decision. I don't think that's within my realm to do that. Good enough. I can thank- make a decision for myself. So thanks for the perspective. I, I appreciate it. And, and I think you, you highlight some of the, the, the difficulties that are here. I, I, I know that there's some people who are listening to our conversation who are— uh, of saying, okay, so what you're saying is if you get this diagnosis, you're told, you know, two-thirds of the way through the pregnancy that there might be some abnormality with, with the child, and so, and, and I think we'd all probably agree that it, it's a child, so at, at this point in time, you know, you you, you terminate the, the pregnancy. I think there's all sorts of people that are sitting there thinking, well, you, you shouldn't be able to, to do that. And I appreciate that this is a, a difficult sort of issue, and, and maybe when you're, you know, factoring in the the, the exceptions you know, you, you have to maybe consider not just the health of the mother, but, you know, you catastrophic sort of situations like you're, you are talking about, which I think are probably outside the norm of this. But to, to me, well, and even, like I say, even today, in today's society, even with Roe, the, the, the quote-unquote right to an abortion is not absolute. Roe Ro makes it very, very clear that once you start talking about, like, later-term procedures— that that they are they are as a general rule prohibited with certain exceptions. So it, it's just a question of where does that end up kicking in? And I, I appreciate you being uncomfortable to have this conversation. I'm uncomfortable to have the conversation as a male because it, it doesn't it doesn't impact me at all. Nevertheless, I think there's going to have to be some consensus on on ultimately where those guidelines are. Because in, even today, even with Roe, we're all across the map on this. I mean, we're, you know, some states essentially say, you know, anything goes, anytime, anyway. Some states are putting on limitations. I, I think there has to be some sort of standard that, that's out there. Because like I say, even with Roe, it's not an absolute right. No no woman has an absolute right to have an abortion at any particular time during the pregnancy, which is why we're now, especially with medical science, we're at this point where we, we, have, to, we have to figure out what the regulation of this is, is going to be. 855-616-1620. Chase, Chase, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Can sure. you hear me okay? I can. Oh, perfect. Um, hi, so uh, I think the whole conversation is a little bit misleading because we're not necessarily talking about women's rights. Um, we're talking about uh, human rights. And um, the Constitution is very rigid in the sense of all men being created equal. 
So when we're talking about being created, I mean, from the moment the sperm merges with the egg, it's a, it's a distinct, unique human zygote down to your chromosomal makeup, your, your taste bud preferences, your, your hair color. Um, so so you, you, you believe that life begins at conception. So you believe that life begins at, at conception and that that's, that the, the, the moment of conception, it, it is a person that the woman is then carrying in her womb. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's biologically correct to, to say that um, because we're looking at the chromosomal makeup of, of a zygote is a distinct and unique human being. Um, so we're, we're, looking at the, we're looking at this from the perspective of can a mother kill her unborn child or can't she? And I mean, we have rules in, in the U.S. where you can't kill your neighbor, you can't kill your tenant if you're a landlord. Um, and uh, the U.S. was pretty divided about slavery. Uh, some hundred years ago, and um, that ended up being a, a topic that everybody now sees as reprehensible. But back then, it was um, an issue of are they or aren't they people? Mm-hmm. And they decided, uh, people decided that they are or aren't people depending on the color of their skin. Now we're saying are they or aren't they depending on their level of development. Yeah. And I think uh, it's it's really heartbreaking to see so many people say, I'm a Christian, I support abortion because the Lord Jesus Christ is completely anti-abortion. I mean, you you cannot defend that from a Christian perspective. But okay, okay. Th- thanks for calling, Chase. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I don't want to go too far into the um, religious references because I, I, I and I appreciate that. I, like I say, I, there there are people, there are people on on both. I'm going to say extremes, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But I mean there there are people who argue and believe because of their religious beliefs and their interpretation, just like you were expressing that that at the moment of conception, that is an independent person. And again, that's why that's why Roe versus Wade is such a unique decision because it, it extends the right of privacy. But the, the question is, it, it's not just what you're doing affects you if you're the woman; it affects. Okay, your your unborn child, fetus, whatever, and and that's where the the you know difficulty comes in is deciding at what at what stage is this a separate person. You're expressing the idea that it's a person the minute it's conceived, which is why any sort of abortion at all would be murder. And then of course you got people on the other extreme who are like no restrictions, no no time, anything you want to do. And, and I actually. I think as a society, and I appreciate the arguments on the, the extremes, but as a society, I think what we we have to do is we have to figure out, okay, what's, what is the balancing of the various interests that are out there? That's what Roe tries to do. I mean, Roe, Roe one of the reasons I, I've always had problems with Roe is they're they're trying to do this balancing. The judiciary is trying to do this balancing as to deciding, you know, when when the unborn, when the fetus becomes, you know, life, et cetera. That's why you get the first trimester, the second trimester, the third trimester. And that that's why it's such a mess from the perspective of a legal decision, apart from the question of what the law should be. Uh, this this is going to be, I think, the, the conversation, whether it is as much of a voting issue among people as, as you might think, given all the, you know, outrage and all the commentary over the last couple of days. I, I don't know, because I know that there are some people who 
feel very strongly about this, whether those people feel so strongly about this that they might change perspectives that they feel about other issues like the economy and stuff like that remains to be seen. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, I'm sure we will continue to debate this as as this works through. Um, I, I, matter of fact, one of our texters sent me a very kind note saying, you know, well done on taking a very difficult topic and having a good and respectful conversation about it and keeping things civil. And my response back was, thanks. I, I find, and I, I, I've said this for all the years I've done a talk show, that I, I think this is a very, very difficult issue for all those reasons that we discussed. It, it's a very difficult issue, period. And it's an extremely difficult issue to discuss in the context of spoken word radio, because again, I, I understand the passion that people bring to this on all sides of the issue. Um, there are times when it when it has to be done, and you know, for the longest time, abortion took took kind of a back burner, and and now it, it it's back on on the front burner. And I, I think you know it's important to have this conversation about where where do you go from here for everybody who thinks that the demise of Roe versus Wade if that in fact happens is the end of civil liberties i i don't believe that's going to be the case i, I think you know i i think that there there may be a handful of states that make the decision that they're they're not going to permit abortions but i i think that's going to be in the distinct minority i think the vast majority of states are going to try to find some middle ground in an issue where it's very difficult i acknowledge to find middle ground. Um, there are almost 650,000 people whose lives are touched by the Wisconsin retirement system, which covers employees of the UW system, local police, firefighters, and publicly employed teachers. Join Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ Steve Scafidi for a special webinar, Understand Your WRS, that's Wisconsin Retirement System, potential. It's going to occur on Wednesday, May 18th at 4 p.m. Retirement planning can be complex. What does your most recent statement mean for your plan? No matter your age, or retirement status. Learn more as we walk through pension scenarios and answer WRS questions. Register for the free webinar at AnnexWealth.com backslash events. Least surprising perhaps story of, of this election season. Uh, the Associated Press is reporting it. In, in Wisconsin, legislators are, are bailing at, at record numbers, um, the, the number of, and this is Republicans and Democrats, the number of state senators and state assembly people who are leaving um, is just, it's it, it's going to be close to the number of people who, who retired, if not exceed, the number of people who left office in, in World War II. Many of them went to, to fight, you know, overseas. Here's the number. There are, um, okay, there's a 118 lawmakers up for re-election, 13 Republicans and 10 Democrats in the uh, Assembly are leaving, four Republicans and three Democrats in the Senate are out. So that's 30 departures, um, which, again, is on a parallel with World War II. And a lot of these are, are long st- people who've been around for a long time, who have just decided, okay, it's it's time to move on. Not surprised at all. This happens, first of all, a lot of times when you have the scenarios of, of redistricting and that their district boundaries get changed. A lot of people say, okay, well, it's different folks, it's different constituents. Um, can I get reelected? Can I not? But on top of it, I'm sure one of the least fun jobs around is being in the state legislature. Number one, you're not paid very much. Number two, 
it is so incredibly partisan on on both sides. There's really kind of no middle ground. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize, you know, life is short, and maybe there's other things that we can do with the time we have left on this earth. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. This is one of these like annoying things that you, you understand why these things are in place, but sometimes they can be frustrating. So I, I want to do a topic. What we're going to discuss in this segment is Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer is the pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, who has just been suspended for essentially, you know, like two years for violating the league's policy, the Major League Baseball's policy on on domestic violence and things like that. And it's a very, very complex sort of situation. So I mean, I've got my research materials. And during the break, I wanted to make sure that I got some of the facts of the allegations correct against him. So I'm trying to do the search here from my, my computer. And and so I, I type in like Trevor Bauer sexual assault allegations. And I keep getting blocked because we have all these blocks on the computer about not allowing us to go to, I don't know, you know websites we're not supposed to go to. And so I, I can't get onto the sporting news. I can't get onto the New York Times because apparently when you put the word sexual assault in, it triggers this stuff. So you can't see what the results are. And it's kind of like, okay, I understand they, they don't want and I get it. Our, our employers don't want you know, people on work computers going to bondage websites or sites that specialize in sexual assault. I get it. But it's kind of like, OK, the, we're talk show hosts. And this is news. And I'm all I'm trying to do. I, I want to get to the New York Times discussion of what the allegations were. And and that is apparently being blocked. But we will we will muddle through. Trevor Bauer is one of the most accomplished baseball pitchers of 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 the most recent generation. He's won, um, I think, two different Cy Young awards. Um, he, he started out, he pitched for Cleveland, um, then he pitched for um, Cincinnati, and then in 2021, he signed a three-year contract with his hometown Los Angeles Dodgers. And he, the Los Angeles Dodgers, a lot of people think are they're certainly the highest spenders, along with the Mets and the Yankees, in, in baseball. But a lot of people think that the Dodgers are um, the, the best team in baseball. And the idea was, okay, Bauer is going to go to his hometown team, and he's going to be the pitcher for the Dodgers, and he's going to lead them back to the World Series. And in, in order for that privilege, Trevor Bauer signed a three-year contract that was worth like $102 million. I mean, just— just let me let that linger in the air there. Three, he's a pitcher. And three years, $102 million. Okay, so he's in his first year. What happened last season, 2021, he's in his first year of, of this contract. And some of the facts are, are not a, at issue. So last spring, now he lives in Los Angeles. Last spring, he meets a woman via Instagram. Okay, what could possibly go wrong with, with this? And apparently in, in their conversations that they have, now he doesn't know this woman. He, he is run, meets this woman through Instagram. And, okay, here's the PG-13 warning about this particular segment. Let me give you a couple seconds if you've got those little pictures with big ears, because uh, this is a story that involves allegations of, of just— really bad stuff. So, okay, 
So give you a chance to turn the dial if you need to do that while we're having this conversation. All right. So Instagram. And apparently on Instagram, he expresses his interest in, how could we say, rough sex. And she expresses a mutual interest in that. And she comes up. They're strange. She drives up from San Diego to his place in Los Angeles. um, And the pair reportedly had sex that um, she described as initially consensual, and then it kind of spins off. And she says that he then did other sorts of things that she didn't consent to, okay? So they, they part after after this, and apparently there's, um, again, exchanges, Instagram and otherwise, a- after this, this first encounter, and she goes back up to his house, and they do it again. <laughs> and after they do it the second time, she then goes to the authorities and says she says that she was sexually assaulted, et cetera, et cetera, and um, asks for a restraining order. At this point in time, his, his attorneys get involved. The whole thing ends up going public. Long story short, the prosecution th- this is not prosecuted the prosecutors decide that there's no basis to bring criminal charges in connection with with this case so there, there's no criminal charges that are against him there's another woman who comes forward and says well similar sorts of things you know happened you know with me o- over time so there, there's no judicial finding of uh, of certainly guilt. He's never been charged criminally. There's no settlement of any sort of civil case or things like that. But nevertheless, Major League Baseball starts looking into this because, I mean, they've got their own you know, policies on domestic violence and things like that, regardless of that are independent of whether or not you've got a criminal conviction or not. So Major League Baseball does this investigation, and they decide that what they are going to do is they are going to suspend— Trevor Bauer for 324 games, which is two full seasons, which I believe is the largest suspension that they have ever handed down for something like this, or or maybe for something certainly like this. So this is two full seasons. Um, While you are suspended, you you do not have to be paid. So he was paid last year thirty eight million dollars um, while this was was all this was pending. But now that he's formally been suspended, the Dodgers are off the hook for assuming this is upheld for the remaining seventy million dollars of his contract. And baseball is telling him he's not going to be able to pitch again for for two years if if ever. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I think, I mean, I, I think if I would summarize this fairly, Trevor Bauer would acknowledge that a lot of the things that he's accused of, of doing, the stuff that, that happened, actually did happen. He says, look, this was not, though, a sexual assault sort of situation. This was consensual sex between two people, and it's fundamentally wrong to you know, suspend me for this. 
Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bauer's point is, look, this is grossly unfair. I have this huge contract. You are taking away my livelihood. I haven't been convicted of any sorts of crimes. I haven't been adjudicated responsible in any sort of civil trial. Who are you, Major League Baseball, to come in and tell me that I, I can't I can't play this game for two years, and also that I can't collect this contract that I have, you know, that I'm going to have to forfeit $70 million and probably my career. Our number is 855-616-1620. Is Trevor Bauer being treated fairly or unfairly? We'll discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, let me count this with our text. Let me count the ways this is all wrong. Guy gets paid fifteen thousand bucks a pitch and somehow doesn't understand the rules. The human decorum don't apply to him. Uh, gal drives three hundred miles to his place twice. Claims it wasn't consensual. Baseball suspends him for private affair with no conviction and costs the guy seventy six million bucks. Are any of these people living in the real world? Well. You know, you got that there. Um, I mean, here, look here, here to me. First of all, just as we start this off, the 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 conversation and all along here, it's kind of like, what could this guy have been thinking? I mean, seriously, to to put yourself. And I understand this is this is apart from the question of whether or not he should legitimately be suspended or not. But to put yourself in a situation like this, I, I mean, seriously, you're 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 making. You have you have won life's lottery. You've been given this thunderbolt of a right arm, and you're cashing in. You've got a hundred and two million dollar contract, and you're 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 on Instagram meeting complete and total strangers and having them drive up to your home, where you then engage in what whether it's consensual or unconsensual or whatever this is. You you engage in this type of behavior. You want to say are are you just absolutely out of your mind? But but being irresponsible and reckless doesn't necessarily translate into being a sexual predator. So is Major League Baseball wrong to suspend him? Uh, he's filed an appeal. Uh, so an arbitrator is going to ultimately decide this. Let's start with Doug. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, this this is uh, these are tough issues. Uh, I appreciate you taking the call. I, at first blush, I say to myself, this seems unfair and it's not right and it's overhanded by Major League Baseball, even though it wasn't smart of him. But then I pause and say, hold on, this is a little slippery slope because. Major League Baseball is a private employer. Mm-hmm. You know, people, they, they have the right to hire and fire people as they wish. And if they didn't like what he did, I, I guess that's their prerogative. Um, well, I, and the, I, and I the really deal is... Because if we go too far on this, yeah. yeah. And I mean, thanks to call. Well, and, and see, and the deal is that the, the commissioner under the union contract, you, the, the commissioner can suspend people for what he finds to be just cause. Uh, so it, it's not like... It's not like they say, okay, you know, you have you can only be suspended if you're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. That hasn't happened. That's not going to happen because the prosecutor's not going to bring charges because my guess is 
from my perspective as a former prosecutor, that this is just, it, it's a mess a, as far as problems of proof and the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. He says, okay, she consented to all this stuff. She says that, that she didn't. There's all the back and forth going on with the emails and the why did you come back a second time, all those sorts of stories. Is this a woman who's out there? Was she legitimately sexually assaulted? Is she looking for a payday? I, I mean, I don't, I don't claim to know any of the answers of that. I can understand from a prosecutor's perspective why you, you just wouldn't touch this, having to, again, prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. But that doesn't mean that, that something didn't happen. And just because it doesn't rise to the level of proof beyond a, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt that you bring into court doesn't mean that you're, you're not subject to, you know, internal discipline for this. Um, I I guess I I look at this, and and here's what I think is going to happen. I'm willing to go on the record for this. I think that that ultimately, when this goes to arbitration, what's going to happen is the arbitrator is going to uphold a suspension but reduce it. Um, Two years is there, there's nothing out there that, that translates to two years. Um, all the other – and the, the suspensions for you know, this domestic abuse is supposed to be comparable to the suspensions that you get for other things. And generally when you catch people, for example, with steroids using PEDs, and I understand it's different than sexual assault or I, and domestic abuse. I get that. But the typically what happens is – at the most, you get a suspension for half a year or or a year. I think what's going to happen is the arbitrator is going to come in and probably find that there's a basis for doing this because if nothing else, even though the guy's not convicted of a felony, getting involved with this is just, just felony stupid, putting yourself in the middle of, of all this and leaving yourself open for these types of things. And and clearly something happened between the, the two of them. There's, there's no doubt about that. So I think what my guess is the arbitrator is going to probably say, yeah, we're going to uphold a suspension, but maybe not a year, maybe not two years. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this cut down to a year, which then raises the other question that's out there that, you know, if you're the Dodgers, what do you do? How how in today's day and age can you bring this guy back? Can you imagine all the, the people that are going to be out there protesting, for example, uh, the, this, the, the absolute outrage? I mean, it's, it's why it's always a risk when these sports teams take, you know, sign contracts to people who are quote-unquote character risks or have, you know, a history of domestic abuse or things like that. In, in this particular case, you've got a guy who's making $102 million for over a three-year period who decides that it, just to get himself in the middle of this, whatever happened between the two of them was a good idea. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. I think the way it's all going to work out, like I say, is I think there will be some suspension. I doubt it will be two years I'd guess maybe a year, and even at that, it costs him 30-some million. And then the Dodgers, I can't ever see this guy pitching for the Dodgers again. My guess is if if the suspension ends early, the Dodgers just pay him off and send him on his way. Back with more in just a minute. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, can I see a show of hands? Everybody that's ridden the hop, you know, that that's the Tom Barrett's trolley folly, the streetcar. Hmm, not a lot of hands going up. Well, okay, if you, if you haven't ridden the hop lately, today and this week isn't the time to try to do it because, well, the, the hop, do, here's the statement that they put out. 
due to mechanical issues, streetcar service will operate in increments of 40 minutes until further notice. We apologize in advance for the inconvenience this may cause. Well, first of all, you're not going to inconvenience too many people because nobody rides the thing. But, but beyond that, okay, 40 minutes. Okay, as of early April, the streetcar was down to just three vehicles and a reduced schedule. Um, two of the vehicles needed wheel maintenance, but the jack shoes to lift the vehicles are out of service. Third vehicle now also needs that routine ma- maintenance after reaching a mileage threshold. So they need this maintenance. They say it's routine, but they, they don't have the equipment to do it. So it's down to like one streetcar. So it's 40 minutes wait between streetcars. Well, let me give you a tip. Okay, the whole thing only runs like two miles, so you can walk that two miles in a lot less than 40 minutes. And if you're standing there waiting for the streetcar and wondering why it's not going to be there, well, I just just kind of walk down the street and you will be all set. But again, I understand they're apologizing for inconveniencing people. I appreciate that that's a nice thing to do. But let's be real, not too many people lining up to get on the streetcar. And if you are, now there's a 40-minute wait. So for those handful of you who wanted to go from one bar to another on the yuppie people mover, well, okay, just that, that's what call Uber. Uber will take care of you. It's 2.31. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Melissa Barker. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I am of the age that I saw Star Wars about three weeks after it first came out. I remember seeing Star Wars in a movie theater. I remember who I saw it with. I, I remember the credits, and I remember sitting there thinking, boy, this is, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, one of these old-fashioned, you know, space operas. I have to confess, I had no idea when I, I saw Star Wars when it first came out. I had no idea that it would spawn all the different things that it had spawned. All the, I mean, I, I knew it was going to probably be a, you know, they'd have a couple movies, even though turning it into a trilogy was, was not a done deal. I think a lot of people thought this was going to be a huge flop, but I, I had no idea. I got, for example, I got, I have the Disney Channel at home. I got a, um, I got a text message from or an email from the Disney Channel with the entire listing of, of the order of Star Wars. And I'm not just talking about the order of the, the nine movies, but also all the other things, the standalone movies that they have. And it says, OK, if you want to watch these all like in order, this is the order. Now, I, I don't want to watch them all in order, but I remember watching the original Star Wars. Now, why are we talking about Star Wars today and why, if you're going out to the baseball game tonight, the Brewers and the Reds game that you can hear, by the way, on 620 WTMJ, why is it Star Wars night and all? Well, okay, so what what's the big thing in Star Wars? It is, may the Force be with you. Well, this is May 4th, so, okay, it, it's it's Star Wars Day, all all over the country, and, you know, people are just completely and totally embracing this. This has turned into—Star Wars has managed to turn itself into a cultural phenomena, and and I'm not sure— in all honesty, I'm, I'm not sure what the parallel is. You know, at one point in time, I, I might have said, well, Harry Potter, you know, because Potter, you know, that Harry Potter stuff was, was so very big. And I, I understand people are still into Harry Potter, but Harry Potter has, has not been anything 
like Star Wars. And yeah, there were people, for example, who liked Star Trek, and there would always be these debates about what's better, Star Trek or, or Star Wars. And, and Star Trek has, has lived on in multi-generational things and new shows and stuff like that. But, but Star Trek, in my opinion, at least as far as you know, public awareness and you know, interest and obsession, even though there's a lot of hardcore Trekkies out there, not, nothing comes close to, to Star Trek. Wars. I mean, it just it just flat doesn't. And while there have been other entertainment series that are that are out there that have fans and followers, the, the Matrix, for example, it, it's it's nothing like like Star Wars. There's something about Star Wars and the Star Wars canon that has just. It's it's attracted generations. I mean, literally, you know, generations of followers from th- this little movie that a lot of people thought was going to be, oh, this is going to be a one and done sort of, you know, uh, B type of movie. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, because— it is May 4th because it is Star Wars Day. I do want to devote a segment of the program to to you Star Wars fans that are out there. What is it about this movie, this franchise, that, that has led to all, all this stuff that, that's out there, the, the support, the fanatical support, and now the fact that you, you've got, you know, across Major League Baseball, it, it's Star Wars night and things like that, 855-616-1620. What, in your opinion, is the appeal? I've got some thoughts, but for you fans of Star Wars out there, and I know you're out there, what, what is— what is the interest? What has attracted you? What has kept you through all these years? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. That, of course, is from the canteen scene in the original Star Wars. Today, May 4th, Star Wars Day. People are celebrating the the phenomena that is Star Wars, and I remember, like I said, I, I saw it when it came out in in 1977, and I I think my reaction was, oh, this is kind of a nice little movie, et cetera, et cetera. And I I, I didn't have any idea that you know we were going to be talking about this 45 years later and what a phenomenon it had become and that the fact that it's led to theme park rides and video games and this entire canon nine separate you know movies as part of the 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 Star Wars thing plus all the standalone movies plus all this other stuff it it has clearly captured people's imaginations. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Rebecca in Grafton. Rebecca, good afternoon. Yes, hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. What is the appeal of Star Wars? So uh, my take on it is that I think it appeals to multi generations. Um, as I said, I saw the first one in '77 when I was about five years old, and then I took my own son to see The Force Awakens. You know, when he was about yeah. the same age five years ago. So, yeah, I just think it's everyone can appreciate it. Well, you're right. It's also it is fa- it, it's family entertainment. I mean, it works on on a lot of different levels. But you're you're right. You can you saw it as a kid. 
you can take your children to it, and you know, 20 years from now, your kids can take their grandchildren to it, and and they're still going to be entertained. Oh, absolutely, and I think it's great to be able to share that with your child, something that you shared at that age, and now they're experiencing the same thing, and it's a great it's a great franchise. It, I still love it. It is. Thanks for the call, Rebecca, and may the force be with you. No, I, I think, actually, that that's... You know, when, when George Lucas developed this, his idea was to to make a, a, a movie that was kind of like the old Flash Gordon serials. Now, this is, this is before my time, and it's before most of our time, but, you know, it used to be you'd go to the movies on, on Saturday afternoons, and, and they'd have these different movie reels, and they'd show, you know, ev- every week you'd show before the main movie, there'd be, as one of the, one of the things, there'd be like, a, like an eight-minute Flash Gordon se- uh, sequence that would show, you know, this is Flash Gordon, and it would always end with some cliffhanger, and then next week they'd show you how he got out of the cliffhanger, and then by the end he was in another one of these cliffhangers, and it was these the serial sort of things, and that serial, like S-E-R-I-A-L. And then um, what happened is I think Lucas wanted to create something like that. One of my colleagues was telling me that his father, who is apparently close to my age, when he saw the original Star Wars, he saw it 11 times, and that, it, it was just, it, it captured people's imagination. Now, I don't think I saw it 11 times. I might have seen it twice. But I mean, I've certainly seen all the movies over time. But it's this incredible phenomena that that has, I mean, staying power. 855-616-1620. Jeff, at its core, I think Star Wars is for kids, and it has maintained that consistently. I still feel like a child watching the movie and the series and the cartoons. I now watch my three-year-old enjoy mostly the cartoons, but she still loves live-action Darth Vader lifesaver battles. We're going to Star Wars Celebration, the major Star Wars fan gathering at the end of the month to meet um, Evan McGregor. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Jeff, in 1977, the special effects of the movie is something that we had never seen at that time. I think I was so, that's one of the reasons I was so amazed by the movie. Yeah, I mean, I can remember, I mean, I, I can remember like when they go into hyperspace and things like that. Now, now you see all sorts of stuff like this, but, but back then it was kind of revolutionary. Jeff, I think Star Wars was a wonderful restra- distraction from the stress of college. We would get a car full and drive down to Milwaukee where it was being shown first. Yeah, um, that's it. Jeff, Star Wars was the first movie that I saw in a movie theater. Um, Jeff, the appeal of this is that it's entertaining for the entire family. Yeah, that's it. Jeff, I think Star Wars shows the possibility of life in our universe and beyond what other life might have been. Um, yes, here's one. Jeff, I guess I led a sheltered life, but I have not seen any of the Star Wars movies. Now, now I appreciate the text, but oh my gosh, you know, did you grow up in a cave? I mean, good. How how in the world could you not have seen any of the Star Wars movies? I just flat out that I flat out don't get. 855-616-1620. Jeff in Manitowoc. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. What is the appeal of Star Wars? Well, I think it's uh classic good versus evil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and, and, and good, good doesn't always win, but hopefully the long run. Yeah, it does. No, thanks. No, you're right. I mean, it, it's it's the it's a great morality play. It's 
it's kind of like people don't who don't understand the appeal of professional wrestling. That's what it is. It's good versus evil. It's bad guys versus the good guys, and ultimately the the good guys end up winning. I mean, Star Wars the same way. You know, you've got you've got the good guys that are up against the you know the the incredibly evil people, and there's no way that you can beat them. And then you get the little Ewoks, and they all get together, and and you blow up the Death Star, and you know everything's you live happily ever after, at least until the sequel. Let's talk to Alex. Alex, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. How you doing? Good. What's the appeal of Star Wars? I, my favorite thing about Star Wars and what brings me the most joy is in all kinds of Star Wars media, you see all kinds of different alien races. They're not just humans. Mm-hmm. And you and the in Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order, um, in the main sequence, it comes down, and Cal Kestis is obviously just a regular actor and everything, but human, but his best friend is a weird-looking alien dude. Yeah. It's just, it is my favorite thing. It shows that everyone is, everyone yeah. has a place, and no. everyone is there, and everyone it's my favorite thing. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. I think there, there, there is something to that. Um, here's one. Jeff, I was 10 when Star Wars came out. For me, it was always Han Solo. That's Harrison Ford. He was my first bad boy crush. Huh. Han Solo was the first bad boy crush. And then one of my other texters says, for me, it was Princess Leia in that gold bikini. That's that. Well, you know, that, that's, of course, Carrie Fisher. And if you've ever, who passed away, what, about a year or so ago, or maybe two years ago, if you ever get a chance to see Carrie Fisher, who was Debbie Reynolds' daughter, if you ever get to see her, her, her it's on, it's on H, they show it on HBO. She did the stage show, called, I think, called Wishfully Drinking. She talked about, you know, her life in, in general, um, but she also talked about being Princess Leia in this gold bikini, and her point was she'd go to all these fan shows, and people would look at her when she's 50, and they'd, they'd say, well, wait, we're, we're, we're expecting the Princess Leia in the gold bikini from when she was 19, and she'd say, you know, I, if, if I, 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 you know, I, I always wanted to say to George Lucas, don't you realize that, you know, this is how people are going to view me for the rest of my life by wearing that particular gold bikini, but... I guess if you got to be remembered, there perhaps are worse ways than that. All right. When we come—by the way, if you're going to do Star Wars-related stuff tonight, going out to the ball game, I wish you the very best. May the 4th be with you as well. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.